Hey there, uh, John Kenobi here to tell you about audible.com. Audible.com is a great way to experience books if you don't have uh, the time to read them. Uh, what do they are? Are audiobooks, and we've got a special offer for you at Cinema 7. If you go to www.audibletrial.com backslash c7pod, you can sign up for a 30-day free trial today and get a free audiobook. Now, this can be anything they offer. It gives you one credit. It can be anything. That's yours. You will keep it after you lose the trial. Uh, you can use this to uh, read a book you, you know you might not have time to read or catch up with all the different Hollywood movies that are being made from books, uh, Annihilation, Ready Player One, etc., etc. Uh, our friend Mario uses it for various random audio dramas. If that's what you're into, give it a shot. Again, that's www.audibletrial.com backslash C7pod. Discover what Audible has over 1 million audiobooks and dramas and all types of things. Just give them a shot. Uh, thanks. Hello and welcome to Cinema 7. I am your host today. I am Chris Hawk. To my left, Mar Bakari. What's up? I'm to the left this week. What's going on, fam? To the right, John Kenoki. I don't really feel that we should have sides. I think we create a complete circle, and as a result, we have no real sides. Well, our logo is a triangle, so it's not a circle. Anyways, we have a very, very good episode for you guys today. We're talking about the... It's actually pretty critically acclaimed right now steven spielberg's newest movie ready player one based off the book by ernest klein we're going to be delving into that today for you guys and it's nostalgia-ness but first we're going to get to some news some news for you you know we got the, we got some of that news you know down on the low we got some news 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 so first news we just got to take a shout out to oscar isaac first because it was his birthday a couple weeks ago so we just want to say happy birthday to oscar isaac john can i get a happy birthday from you to Oscar you can, Isaac? You cannot. <laughs> Happy birthday to Oscar Isaac, future George Lucas in the George Lucas biopic. Right, 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 right. That's mm-hmm. see, that's I love it. Thank you, Mario. You're John, welcome. You know, maybe you just you just won't get invited to the next Oscar Isaac birthday. When this episode comes back, we'll be flashing back to his birthday. <laughs> so that's the first bit of news, of course. Great news. Oscar Isaac, love him. We all love him. Even John loves him. Chris Hawk loves Oscar Isaac. He had to throw that in there. <laughs> I'm host, I make the rules, all right? So John Cena, famous wrestler, <laughs> famous movie star? Critically acclaimed wrestler. Critically, <laughs> critically acclaimed wrestler, love, beloved wrestler. Everyone loves John Cena now. Yeah, I'd, I'd say now, yeah, that's true. I, I would say he's in talks or is definitely confirmed to play the very famous and crude and rude and badass 
Duke Nukem video game character in a movie. John, how do you feel about that? I I don't know. Is it Duke Nukem? John Cena? Those are two completely opposite things. <laughs> I saw. I don't understand. <laughs> I read a thing that said it was highly uh, influenced, or it's going to be influenced by Deadpool. The Deadpool movies. But Duke Nukem? <laughs> John Cena? That's not his image. Well, he's done wrestling. After after this WrestleMania, he's done. He's not going to stop doing Make-A-Wishes, though. This is John Cena we're talking about. So you're saying he can't do it cause, just because of his image? I don't think he can't do it. I just think it's going to be really weird. It's going to take me out of it. Is it because you, uh, you're a big fan of John Cena, John? You love his image? It's, it's got to be that because, I mean... <laughs> I can't say I like Duke Nukem and, you know, not be accused of liking who he is as a person. Right. Really, there's no character to Duke Nukem. He just says a bunch of one-liners, right? There's basically nothing else to the He to saves the women. Games. He saves women. He saves the world from the monsters, right? He's like a Doom parody, right? The game? Yeah, it is, a do- it is like a Doom parody. The game is kind of fun. I just... If it's if if this movie is anything like the games, we're gonna have to wait another ten years to even see this movie because it's gonna be indefinitely delayed, like a million times. Are you making fun of Duke Nukem 3D or whatever it is? Me make fun of games? Nah. John, John, you played Duke Nukem 3D. I did. Yes. <laughs> I I feel like you had a different opinion on that game than a lot of other people, who said it was like super bad. That's because I think people took uh, 10 years of waiting as 10 years of working on it, and they expected something great when it was 10 years of delays and not working on it. If something's sitting around for 10 years in like a uh, you know perpetual limbo, I don't think it's getting worked on, and I don't think it's going to be that good when it comes out. I think people had just unrealistic expectations, thinking that the full 10 years the game had been worked on. And that was the major problem. It's not a bad game, but if you were looking for 10 years of work, you didn't get it. I mean, what is, what is anyone really expecting from a Duke Nukem game? Are you expecting the best in quality video game experience? I don't think so. You're expecting just shoot em up fun. That's all, that, that's all Duke Nukem is. I would say the game is that, but I mean, that, I think people were looking for more. I think they were looking for the next level of Duke Nukem as compared to what they started with 10 years prior. And that's not what they got. They just got literally a 3D version of it, and that that pissed people off. But, I mean, I had no problem with it. To our last bit of news, unless you guys have anything to add on after this, John Boyega recently revealed at a Washington Comic Con that uh, he and Marvel Cinematic Universe have had talks about a long range in the future for him to be a character. What character do you want him to play? Are you talking about Awesome Con? Yeah, yeah. Apparently, that's getting uh, that got some buzz this year as like a like a bigger con. You know, nothing to the size of like a, a New York Comic Con, but it, it um, it's a atten- it got a, some attention this year. I feel like it's just like I think you know they got to start somewhere, and then the popul- the popularity of cons have increased dramatically over the past like ten years. I mean, I think we remember when we went to New York Comic Con. And then when you guys went, you said it wasn't nearly as, you said it was 
much busier when you guys went this this recent one compared to our the ones that we went to back in like 2010 i think it was when but which character mario do you want john boyega to play in the cinematic universe for marvel well i know boss logic you know the infamous internet uh photoshopper who i mean i'm not hating on the guy he does some pretty cool work um it doesn't look as clean as a lot of others that I've seen, mm-hmm. but uh, he he's very uh, quick to hop on um, internet rumors and internet stuff to make it into something, uh, make something out of that, and uh, you know get it out there. And a lot of like the Russo brothers and stuff has been sharing his artwork. I I I saw the rumor about Blade. I I just don't think he's got the voice to be Blade. When I picture mm-hmm. Blade. Because even in the old Spider-Man cartoon when he showed up in the 90s, he had this voice and it was kind of not deep, but, you know, it was, it's very like, I'm the going to kick your ass type of, you know, like a almost like a Duke Nukem. Almost. Yeah. Almost like a Duke Nukem in a sense, like very, <laughs> um, very strong. And I don't know if John Boyega has that type of voice for uh, a blade, you know, for me to take him seriously enough as a tough guy, if that makes any sense. Right. Uh, I think acting wise and maybe action wise, he, he could possibly do it, but voice and seeing him as that, in that role, I, I just, I see someone who, who seems more tough and rugged, you know, and Wesley Snipes was definitely, uh, see, seemed more rough and, uh, rugged and, uh, you know, you know what I'm saying? Mm hmm. So I, I who do you uh, who do you want to pick for him to? Uh, who I want to see him play? Again? Yeah, I don't know. Um, maybe he could be uh, Craven the Hunter. Okay, like so you a, see him uh, as a villain. Yeah, I could. I could. Uh, that would be pretty damn neat. See him as a villain, a villain or villain something. Role. I was gonna say actually, in his AMA, he did. Uh, at the beginning of the month, somebody asked him if he'd ever play a villain, and he said he was actually in talks to play a villain. Oh. So I, I don't know that they'd be correlated, but I don't see him as a blade. I agree, Mario. I, I think he doesn't have the appearance of a blade. Uh, his face is uh, it's almost too friendly. Like He has a very friendly face. Even if you dress that up with makeup and stuff, his facial structure just still isn't, isn't a serious one. Mm-hmm. I, I just don't see it working, whereas... Uh, Wesley Snipes, you know, his he has like a very pointed face. It's almost like a serious tone. It's just completely different people, and I, I just don't see him playing the character. But I'm sure if Marvel is going to remake Blade, it's going to be completely different than the darker Art. tone we're looking for. Yeah, most def. I mean, as to the the question though, I don't I don't care who he plays. It doesn't matter to me. Uh, I don't think he'll play Blade, but you know, Blade is originally a British character, so I mean, I could see why everyone's linking him to be Blade. But honestly, I'd love him to play an X-Men character down the line. Maybe make... If you believe it long enough, it's going to happen on the internet. Right, right. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I was thinking uh, he could easily play like a Bishop character, but that involves time travel. So let maybe just make him Bobby Drake or Spike or put him in prosthetics and make him Beast. He could literally play anyone. He could be the new Storm. Why not? What? <laughs> Alternate timeline storm. 
Yeah, right. But I I think he's going to be an X Men. That's my that's my guess. I don't know. I I I don't feel like we need to push all these. Uh, just because he's in Star Wars, we got to put him in everything. You know, he's in Pacific Rim. Blah blah blah. I I, I mean, that's good for him. I, I'm not trying to uh, discredit him at all. And he, he's he was really good in Force Awakens, and you know he he did. He did very well with what he was given in The Last Jedi. Uh, take that as you will. Hmm. But hmm. he... Hmm. I just... I don't see the need to just, like, clutter the MCU with people. It's how I felt when they casted uh, The Batch. You know, when they casted Benedict Cumberbatch. I was like, do we really need him to be Doctor Stranger in the MCU? You know, type of thing. And can't we find new people... You know, can't can we go out and find new people like how Force Awakens discovered Daisy Ridley? You know, can't we just go find someone else to be in and build them up as this character to give someone else a chance instead of just cluttering our movies with people who are already established based on other just, roles they were in? I just realized who I want to uh, him to play. And it's uh, Potter John's uh, Spider-Man pitch it movie that he pitched. He's going to play the Hobgoblin. Um. <laughs> what? <laughs> okay. Yeah. I, I think the Hobgoblin would be a lot of CGI. So sure. Yep. Hobgoblin, right there. Sandman. That's John Cena. Oh, John John Cena's dad was the Sandman. Okay. <laughs> well, John Cena's at that point in his <laughs> yeah. life where he can pull off the Sandman. <laughs> so if you guys don't have any other news, we're gonna get right into general thoughts of Ready Player One. Welcome to the main event. I mean, I'm I don't know what else we could talk about. A lot of the news is basically like movie news wise. It's like articles of them talking about other things from the past or bringing up, you know, um, is this movie still going to happen? This person's being uh, might be cast for this. It's all rumors. You know, it's not it's it's a very create your own news story environment right now. And hmm. I don't think we're about that. You know, we're talking about the real cold, hard facts. Facts, guys. Facts. Even though we just so, we're talking about what could happen with with John Boyega. Hey, <laughs> hey he's going to be in the MCU. All right. That's a fact. That's yeah, a fact. So Ready Player One, Steven Spielberg's newest blockbuster movie. Steven Spielberg has gone on to claim that there are two types of media in uh, filmmaking, and that's films and that's movies. And when he makes films like Schindler's List, The Color Purple, he those are the films that he, you know, he he's very very proud of, and you know those are for those I wouldn't say serious moviegoers, but those are for those are for the movies that are going to make you feel something when you watch them. And then he he has he he calls the movies where they're blockbusters, Jurassic Park, E.T. He calls those movies so steven spielberg directed another movie for us so instead of like a film he considered it a movie right is that what you're right, saying right. like like a film is like an an auteur autistic version and you know that he's presenting and a film i mean a movie is just like fun. this is this is fun you're yeah, gonna have fun watching this movie if did he really say that about the uh a film gives you feelings and the movie's just like for fun because I feel like with his blockbusters like Jurassic Park, there's people who have felt things watching that movie, and I feel like he's added real emotion to his blockbusters. So he's, I feel like he's kind of talking himself down, talking his own blockbusters down. Maybe he doesn't even like his own movies. 
<laughs> you ever think you ever think about that? I mean, an artist is their worst critic. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, this is Steven Spielberg's newest movie. And what are your guys' general thoughts about Ready Player One? Uh, I'll go last. John, you want to start it off? Yeah, I can. Just to speak to the Spielberg thing, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know where the original quote came from or where he said that. I, maybe maybe he wasn't so much referring to his opinion of all films versus movies, more of his approach on how he makes them. Yeah. Maybe that's you know more about him personally than it is about what he's producing and how people view them. But that'd be something, you know, could easily be taken and turned around to uh, a negative light or just something that uh, people, you know, see negatively. But the movie, uh, I I generally liked it. There are some complaints, as with most movies we see. Um, I never read the book. I was going to get around to it, but I just couldn't because... I don't know, people said it wasn't worth it, and then some people said it was. I didn't have it, you know, I didn't wanna didn't wanna read it, didn't have time. But overall I liked it. I don't really wanna go too far into spoilers, but I think it is decent regardless of whether you like the book or not. Mario. Um, same as John. I didn't get a chance to read the book at all. Uh I'm not as you guys know, I, I'm more of the audio drama type of guy and or audio book because I'm uh, I struggle with reading and and staying focused during a book. Uh, comic books are different because I have the pictures right there. They're, they're, I visually can imagine the action going on in a comic. But uh, there, a lot of people like the book. I haven't seen any negatives on the book really, from my point of view. And there's been a lot of um, a lot of love for this movie. I personally. I think it was all right. I think it was just okay. I don't think it was amazing. I don't think it was uh, bad. There are some parts in the movie that I, I feel like uh, he he kind of rushed through. I feel like. Uh, other than that, I, I uh, there was a lot to I loved about the movie. Uh, the, the, like gaming, uh, my connection to gaming and my connection to my friends that I play games with. Um, there's a lot I related to with that. This movie is the perfect movie for like the internet age. Like it's, it's the, the references and the nostalgia pieces in the movie. It's like perfect for this, for right now, because everything is nostalgia filled and you know, the internet is always posting things of their childhood and, and the way the memes are, how they, you know, there's memes now that like uh, relate to '90s kids or things you watched in the '90s, mo- mostly right now. This movie kind of is like a a love letter in a sense to '80s '80s kids, but also not really because there's a lot of references. I feel like are for gamers right now. I don't know if if you understand what I mean about like this is the perfect movie for the internet age with some of the pieces in it. I, I'll get into it once we break down the movie fully but I, I thought it was okay i i'm gonna just echo what you guys said and i'm gonna say this movie is the okayest of okay uh i i already thought from reading the book that this movie was kind of it was, was going to be very hard to film just like annihilation was because the characters in the book and the movie are very just very hard to relate to and they're shallow there's not a lot to these characters and that's how you 
that's how sometimes people truly connect to the work of art that is movies. I, I, I will wait to uh, to spoilers, but there there are a lot of good parts in this movie. I won't lie, there are a lot of good sequences. There are some of I mean, that famous one that everyone's talking about. The nostalgia, I think, wins this movie a lot of points, and I think I'm gonna go on record and say that I didn't, I didn't think it was too much. Me personally, what did you guys? You thought it was too much, guys, or? I don't think it was too much. I think it was appropriate for the movie. And I uh, just to echo what Mario said, I do feel it was rushed in points. And there are some really Spielberg moments where you, you know that was his decision to do that. And some of them kind of bother me, but it's because of how obvious they are that, you know, it's a Spielberg influence going on. But yeah, I, right. I, I don't think it was too much. So since we're just talk- on the topic of nostalgia... Let's delve deep into that a little bit. In the book, the it's very well present. It's almost every page. It's kind of, I would say, overwhelming a little bit in the little tidbits and you know little nostalgia points that they. It's overwhelming. So they kind of dialed it down a little bit for this movie, and I think it it works better when the main character isn't having to. It's not just all about memorizing in the book. The main character Wade waits. It's all about memorizing for the for the three clues, the keys, the gates. All about memorizing. That's all it is. So I I appreciate what Spielberg did, and he just he basically tore out like half of the quest and made them real simple. In the book, you get you uh you find the key. The key opens the key. Then you got to find the gate to open the key. I mean to you got to find the gate. To open it with the key, and then you have to go find another key. And this one, you basically you go through the gate, and you you have to find all the keys to get to the gate. Yeah, right. And I it really really did slim it down, but I do like I do like how he slimmed down on the nostalgia. It's it's really overbearing how much there is in the book. It's it's there's a reason why, but it's kind of too much. If you guys ever listened to the book or read the book, you would understand what I'm saying. It's just, it's so crazy. I'll be honest. I, I looked up a plot synopsis of the, the book, uh, like an in-depth one, not just like a, a brief one, just to see all the nostalgia. And there are like, for each challenge, there's like four or five major things referenced. I think like the last challenge references like three or four different things that are pretty important if you were to put those on screen. So I, I can see what you're saying, even though I didn't re, uh, and actually read the book. It's all about memorizing. And I, I'm really glad that they just, it just skimmed off the top and just went what they did. Because I think one of the best sequences in the movie that we're just, I say we just, we're going in spoilers. We'll dive right in. Spoilers. spoilers. I think we just want to talk about that, uh, the shining part and how I, honestly, the reaction of the audience and because they, <laughs> It's like watching having your friend watch a movie for the first time and you're looking at their reaction. Like, uh, is that like in the we book? <laughs> no, it actually the shining part isn't in the book at all. Hmm. In the book, the first the first quest with the copper key, when he gets the copper key, he goes to open the copper gate, he has to memorize the entire like he has to say he's in like a virtual reality movie in which he is Ferris Bueller in War Games, and he has to mem- He has to say the lines as it happens on screen. Matthew really Broderick. Neat. Did I say, what I say? Ferris said, Bueller yeah. in War Games. <laughs> so 
he plays Matthew Broderick in War Games, and he has to say every single line that he does during the movie to pass the test. And while it was really neat, because that's like a thing that we haven't seen before in media, it's kind of, it would be kind of boring to film. So I think The Shining just, that is one of the best parts of this movie. And it's almost the only part of the movie that I think is unforgettable. I I agree. I think that is, I honestly, that was the best part of the movie. And I, I feel like Spielberg, I, you know, I haven't read the book, but I, I feel like he took a bunch of stuff that what he loved as a kid and meshed it into this movie. Or not as a kid, but, you know, um, things that he wanted to throw in there as a, as a throwback for people like him. Like The Shining is one, and, you know, The Shining is is very critically acclaimed. Um, there was another moment where I, I just felt like he he um, threw something in that he would have loved, you know, that you can tell he, Spielberg, kind of uh, fanboyed about. But I, I, I forget because, like he's you a, said... Steven uh, Spielberg, he's a big Overwatch fan. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's what it was. <laughs> that's what it was. Well... How could you forget? <laughs> he he loves um like the old samurai movies and he he uh I think he loves like the the original Godzilla so I, I feel like is Godzilla referenced in the book? Oh yes, there is very big parts of Godzilla in the book itself. You might like it for the fact that it 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 pays homage to the Saturday morning cartoon esque fighters. Those um, what's the guy that gets really big in the suit? Mario, I can't remember his name. Like. He's like a mighty more. He's like a Power Ranger, but he's wearing the gray suit. Oh, I can't. I can't about Ultraman. Ultraman. Ultraman's kind of in it. I think they call him something else, like the Japanese name for him. Mm-hmm. Mechagodzilla is like a very important. Like you know, that that scene in the movie was in the book. It's weird though because they changed the, the design drastically, and I wonder if they didn't they they couldn't get the rights fully of the like design, so they changed the way mecha godzilla worked or they just took like a godzilla and made him mechified almost i wonder how much they had to change because they couldn't get the rights to film it maybe that's why some of these scenes in the movie are different i'm pretty sure the shining part was steven spielberg's own twist on it that he was going to do regardless of whatever movie he was going to do yeah there's certain, that's, there's yeah, certain yeah, yeah. shots in the there's certain shots there that um, he could have just reshot The Shining, and I wouldn't have noticed. You know, he he did a pretty good job. Like when uh, the legs come down of the Jack Nicholson character and chasing Danny, like Danny boy, <laughs> through the maze, it, that almost looked exactly like the scene from the movie. And just his attention to detail in that part was, uh, I think, what made it very memorable. I also think that that's Steven Spielberg's homage to his mentor, Stanley Kubrick. It's like a love letter to his own, you know, the guy that helped him get into filmmaking and helped Steven Spielberg, you know, become Steven Spielberg kind of. There's, Stanley Kubrick is like the godfather of film because of just amazing. It's just amazing how uh, Steven Spielberg recreated that scene, whether they <laughs> did it digitally or did it. Uh, Chris like they speechless. Did, I can't. You can't wrap. Chris Hawk can't wrap his head around. uh, What are you trying to say? (laughs) Regardless of what Chris Hawk's trying to say, look, while we're while we're talking about this scene, 
I think part of uh, what makes the scene so great too is the uh, the music, you know, the the ambiance in the background because it's got that shining eeriness to it, and uh, like especially in the the two thirty seven scene, like the music is there even though you have this character like hilariously reacting to you know something we know is about to happen, and I just want to mention, you guys remember those people that walked out of the theater? Yes, they, do they uh, come back? The yeah, I don't think they I came back. I never saw them come back. I I wonder what happened. Oh, they got lost. But I think I think that's just a it's just a precursor of how scary some people think that movie is. You could hear the audience the audience they were they were moving around in their seats like they were kind of squirming. It just made me realize that a lot of people can't handle the shining. It's weird because those I don't think the shining is really that scary. I mean, maybe it's different for different folks, different strokes, I guess, but I don't know. I, I didn't think people would react like that and leave. I, I I feel like I'll agree with you. I feel like maybe they left for other reasons, but it's just weird that they're like, Nope, Nope, Nope. And they got up and left. And it, it, maybe, it, you know, exactly. Like you said it was cause they were scared. It was like a whole group of people. It was like at least eight, eight people got up and left during yeah. the beginning of that. <laughs> it scene. was an entourage. Yeah, it was yeah. an entourage. Just it's it was long enough in the movie that I feel like they weren't leaving. If you were going to leave for the movie because of the movie, you would have left before that at a different scene. But I mean, it's just I think it had to do with that. But yeah, I agree. I don't see how the movie's that scary to be honest. I mean, very. it's very suspenseful, but a lot of people are like terrified of it. And so other than weird. the other than the shining part, which I think we can agree is one of the better the best parts of the movie. What was your guys' favorite uh, homage or nostalgic moment for you guys, John? I'll tell you, The Shining isn't my favorite scene in the mm. movie, even though it's good. But nostalgia-wise, I don't know. That's hard. I uh, I don't know, because the, like, the big battle scene, I already knew that we were going to get a bunch of like pop-ups from different uh, media characters and video game stuff and all that. So I, I didn't really, you know... Didn't really stick out to me. I don't. I don't know that there is a better nostalgia moment or even something comparable than The Shining. But the Shining, it's not. Mm-hmm. It's not my favorite moment. But I don't have a good nostalgia moment for that question. Mario, there's a heavy uh, Willy Wonka vibe in this movie. I don't know if you guys got that or if that's how the book is too. Uh, but I, I felt very Willy Wonka esque things in this, especially towards the end when he when he. Uh, reaches the end and gets the golden egg. Yeah. Uh, that part was cool when he goes into the treasure room and all that. I think the Mortal Kombat part of that treasure room. <laughs> the, tr- the, tra- um, the, yeah. the statues and the dragon. I'm trying to... Reference-wise, you know, King Kong was pretty cool. Uh, the, the T-Rex, the race, I think the whole race was cool and everything involved in it. Uh, obviously, you know, Spielberg threw in his Jurassic Park T-Rex in there yeah, uh, of course the king kong thing was pretty neat but i was sitting there watching it and i think that whole part is one of the gaming parts i was talking about that i related to because it, you know we'd all get online and play this ridiculously hard game that you know john and nick would you know talk research heavily and talk about how hard it is and we're all going to try to play it and uh it's just so ridiculous and i i, I was I, i've Got kind of pure joy. I think that was one of my favorite parts was that race and seeing like King Kong and, and 
Uh, that was fun. Nostalgia-wise, reference-wise, you know, the Gundam thing was pretty cool. Uh, the way he ju- the way it builds up to that is really not that great. Like, he, he takes forever to come into the game. You're like, what the heck are you doing? Just get in the game. You know, like, I, I choose Gundam. Yeah, but... It, you know what I mean? Like before he puts the fight, why did he wait so long to get in there? Man, he could have done Samurai, that in the game, right? Samurai's got to meditate before battle, man. He meditated way too long. Wait, how are you going to tell him? How are you going to tell him? <laughs> I, I thought of something that uh, elicits a nostalgia moment for me, but it, it isn't something that I think you guys will understand. Go on. If you're done, Mario, I don't yeah, want I, I really, to steal your thunder. There's a lot of forgettable things in this movie, honestly. <laughs> besides the besides like the references and, and stuff you know like when you see a tracer so you're like oh yeah tracer was in this movie she makes a she makes a honking noise four times <laughs> uh you know the seeing the battle toads was pretty cool the ninja turtles from the new ninja turtle movies was kind of neat i guess uh like i said the gundam part was cool i just i dramatically I, I didn't think it was that big of a deal with his big entrance. I mean, the, the Gundam was pretty sweet. I just felt like he, sh- like character-wise and gaming. I think that's that's why it's not as good for you. I talked to my brother. He didn't know about it. He thought it was really cool because he didn't know Gundam was in it. I think that's because I, I felt the same way that you feel. But, but it's just weird it how long he took to meditate and then join in the game. Like, I, I feel like... How are you going to tell him, Mario? How are you going to tell him? <laughs> I don't you want him to run out there on the front lines? Look, Car- everyone else was in the. It, it works yeah. for two yeah. minutes. It works I mean, for it was cool. Minutes. It was cool, but I don't know. That just bothered me. Him taking so long to get in there. <laughs> Go ahead, John. All right, all right, John. Okay, so um, at that at that last big battle scene, you know, where he gives the speech and he's like, you know, rallying the the world. Basically, it's mm-hmm. kind of weird that it's the whole world, but you know, whatever it is. Um. That see, I you know, I think I've mentioned it before, but yeah, I I know I have because you know right. Warcraft number one, but uh, I played World of Warcraft for quite some time, and in original World of Warcraft, there was an event. It was uh when they opened the gates of uh, AQ. It was uh, like a bug, uh, raid. It was the third raid of classic World of Warcraft. To open that event, like to even get into the raid. The whole server had to come together and meet like this this quota where you had to create things and submit them and donate things. And as a server, you came together to do this, to open these gates, to get into this raid. And I was actually there like when my original server did it. And that was something where like thousands of people were in one spot watching one guy do one thing. And that that's very much, you know, what happens at the end of this movie where everybody's watching him do one thing and like cheering him on from the sidelines. I just thought that was really cool that, you know, I've been a part of a moment like that where, you know, 10,000 plus people are in one spot, you know, a lot of people crashing because right, right. their computers can't handle it, but watching something, you know, happen that is like a once in a, you know, a game event, like they've never done anything like that before. I was about to say the lag and late latency for that would just be insane. To oh, it was insanity. I mean, I disconnected a few times, but I was able to stay on and uh, you know watch it happen. And it's just one guy who has this final key to unlock this thing people have been working on for months. And it was just you know, it's something that I don't think I'll ever forget. And it was like a, a huge gaming moment for I mean World of Warcraft in general when people were there for that. Did you guys get a sense that the '80s were the dominant theme of this movie? Because oh, in the book, yeah, 
Because in the book, Easily. it's mostly always 80s. In the movie, there's a lot more other than the 80s. I mean, I know you got The Shining and the other things, but like the mainstay characters, like, you know, the Iron Giant, um, that's not 80s. There's there's very min, uh, minimal non 80s things in the book, so it's pretty interesting that he included more than 80s things. I think he was just trying to get away from a dominant 80s theme to make it too nostalgic, which I I definitely appreciate because it kind of gets it kind of gets overdone a lot in the book. Well, the the music even the music is very 80s. Like he doesn't go. He doesn't stray from that, and and I don't know if that's just like a throwback to the book in a sense, but um, the year is like twenty forty five. You think there'd be more music from other generations that'd be more nostalgic too, like nineties music or something? Um, for the whole purpose of the book, the reason why everyone's so focused on the eighties is because everyone in the world is trying to get his egg, so they try to scour the, his journals for everything involved in the eighties, and they end up like like a cyclical type thing. You know how like 80s music and clothes comes back in the in the 10s? The yeah, so what year, like that. what year is this guy born? The guy who created the o- Oasis. In the, uh, he's like 45 when he dies. So 2000 or something like that. In the book? I, uh, I mean, I don't remember exact dates. I'm not going to lie to you. Because he looked much older than 45 in the movie. I have it here. He was okay, born in so 1972. And dies in uh, twenty thirty nine. Okay, so he did live through the eighties. Okay, that's understandable. Right, right. That's that's my bad. <laughs> it's all about his love of the eighties, and he was definitely born in the day. <laughs> yeah, he grew up in the eighties. Chris oh, Hawk, I'm so dumb. Chris Hawk, I'm what so are dumb. you doing? Yeah, he was a, I'm so a teenager in the eighties. So damn dumb. But yet, it's it's oversaturated. How much eighty stuff is in the book? But in this movie, I kind of I, I really did like that he involved a lot more nine eighties things. You know, the T Rex. The uh, the Iron Giant, you know, the uh, just I love it. I love it a lot. I would say the best part, nostalgia wise, for me was the Iron Giant doing the uh, T two uh, salute at the end. Uh, <laughs> Terminator Two is one of my favorite movies, so it's just it. it's just funny that they put Iron Giant in it because a couple years ago, remember everybody was wanting a, another Iron Giant movie really? on the internet. Well, Steven Spielberg loves the iron giant that's like he he loves like that and just how Didn't Brad he produce it? that movie like that's one of his I, yeah i think so but he just loves like the creation and how people love it so i think that's just something he was like you know people love this i love this it's got to be here so let's get on to the characters i would say that the characters of this movie and the book are probably the weakest part for me i i found myself groaning on the inside and out Whenever there was a scene between two of the characters, mostly between Wade and any other character, but that's just me. Um, how did you guys feel about the characters? I don't feel like we have to go through all of them because they're almost there's not a lot to them. Mario, characters like yeah, like uh, there's not a lot to the characters. Uh, the like I said, the mo- the things you relate to, I feel like in this movie are the references and. The things that pop up, like, uh, especially if you're a gamer, like I related a lot to, like I said, you know, going, uh, meeting up and doing this really hard uh, game or level or whatever, or or uh, making lifelong friends in a game like, you know, 
not not only just playing with you guys who I know in real life, but you know, talking to like Carl, Crazy Carl, and uh, you know that whole Ridgeway crew over there. So it, you know that was pretty something that I really related to, and I thought was really cool that they added into this movie because there's a lot of that in today's culture where you meet people online and you're friends with like, like John was saying with world of Warcraft and stuff, he, he had, you know, he was part of a big uh, guild and he knew a lot of people from his guild. I still, That's I amazing. still talk to some of those people today. It's been, uh, yeah. So well, you, I mean, that was years. one thing that is easily relatable to things today. Uh, you know, and it's weird because it is almost like a, a, a thing for eighties kids who grew up in the 80s but it's also a lot of references i feel like too much for them to relate to uh where kids today can relate to because of the you know online gaming and stuff uh characters wise uh you know like i said and like you said they're they're very weak you know they keep harping on that none of the characters really memorable it's mostly some of the things they do that are memorable I, I really like the fanboy aspect of how, you know, they, they really dig this guy and in the game and uh, the two main characters, you know, know everything about this guy and, and they connect on that level. Because, you know, as nerds, when we go to cons, everyone's trying to get out their opinion or, you know, when you talk to somebody about something, it's almost like you got to tell them how much you know. You know what I mean? You got to tell them that I know that. you know I know this. I know that. And it's almost like a a battle back and forth, but people also can connect on that level. So I, I really like that they did that and added that in. It, it's mostly aspects and, and traits that I relate to. Not, per, not really the characters themselves. Does that, does that make sense? I mean, uh, what, what's his name? The, the 11 year old kind of reminded me of, uh, Dr. Jones a little bit with some of his <laughs> sassiness. Uh, what is every character? And, uh, is small like that you has reminded you of uh, Dr. Jones short round? <laughs> I think you said that before on a podcast. I, I don't I don't know. I don't think so. I don't think so. <laughs> I feel like I've heard it. I feel like I feel like the moments in I feel like the moments out of the game feel very Spielbergy, but the moments in the game, I feel like anyone could have directed those parts. You know, I, I don't know. John, how do you feel about the characters? Oh, well, I think there's two distinct versions of the characters. There's the in-game versions where you don't expect a lot and they deliver what you what you want because they're in-game characters. And that's the beginning of the movie. And then there's when you meet them in real life <laughs> and they're supposed to have depth and they don't. And that's my biggest problem. I mean, it it's easily the worst part of the movie. I agree. But... I mean, I don't like the movie for the characters. I, I, they do nothing for me. It's mainly about the plot. But, yeah, I mean, they, there are some rough moments in this mm-hmm. movie that are hard to watch, mm-hmm. particularly the the very mm-hmm. forced romance that we get <laughs> thrust into almost immediately <laughs> and carries through um, the whole movie. I, I would love to say that it's better in the book, but it's not. I would say, I think one of you guys brought it up, but the rush factor... It's not present because time does go by in the book. It feels like this movie takes place over 24 hours and I, it flies by by the seat of its pants. In the book, it, it has the you know it has the positivity of 
actually being like months and six months after he finds the first key and they're still looking for clues and stuff like that. So it kind of they kind of stretch it out a little bit longer in the book, but characters are still garbage. I don't I don't think that this happens too quickly in terms of a time sense. I think there are some time skips that aren't alluded to at all. And I think that's part of the problem is we don't you have to really look for them to be there and want them to be there for them to actually exist because otherwise they're not referenced. But, you know, it's like subtle lines like next Thursday or, you know, like now we're doing this. You know, it's just the way he says things that imply time has passed. But other than that, you don't really get a sense. Yeah, because they're like the main. Go ahead. Go ahead, Mario. Oh, you want me to go ahead? You're going to go ahead. I I will flip a coin. It's heads. I go. So, <laughs> so uh, talking about that, uh, what John was just saying, there's a moment where, you know, they kill his aunt and it, uh, <laughs> his step uncle or whatatever the heck he is. <laughs> the best British, character in the whole movie. Yeah, the British guy from, or the Irish guy from um, uh, Hurricane Heist. Uh, Nuh-uh. We never even talked about that. That could have been like the whole intro to the news. Nah, I was talking about Hurricane Heist and Tomb Raider. Yeah, well, I, I don't know why we didn't. So talk Hurricane about Heist, it. guys. Hurricane <laughs> Heist. Um, Oscar Isaac flashback to Hurricane Heist. I, I lost topic now. Oh, when when they get blown up from Drone Squad, uh, <laughs> I give credit to all John for Drone, drone Squad. What? Hashtag Drone Squad. <laughs> Hashtag Drone Squad. <laughs> you know the whole structure falls and he's running away from it and then it pushes him back and then literally the next scene is him walking the other direction through the crowd that is running. And it, it's like, okay, he did, did he, he did. Look, Mario, <laughs> did he not main get hurt? characters never look at the explosions. They always walk away from them. Yeah, so, so he, he gets, he flies away. Next scene, he's walking away, away from the crowd. He's, wa- he, you know, it's like three, three cuts. It's like walk through crowd, walk back through thing, get back into your chair, and then get chloroformed, put to sleep. Why, like, why wasn't he pulled out of the ru- the wreckage or the debris? Like, I feel like that would have made more sense. And you would have cut the time then instead of rushing to him walking and stuff. Like, it just felt weird to me. And I said it to John, and he was like, time skips. And I was like, why? <laughs> it's just it's just weird how this the main character never, he never goes through any growth in this movie. There's no... It's all it is is external conflict. There's no internal conflict. Like the guy, the guy has no, no problems. He ain't got no problems. And it's just like that in the book too. I mean, I'll be the first to tell you, I don't think that for a character to be good, they have to have an internal right. struggle. But you, you do have to have some depth or something to, that the character evolves in. And he never does. He's literally the same static character the whole time. And I mean, I completely agree. I'm just saying, I don't think they they need an internal struggle to be good. But he is a static character in every single aspect. There's not a point in the movie where I feel like he's went from uh, like a higher point of character growth, where it's like, oh, he's he's here now. He's up higher here because you you know he learns something new about himself. It's there's nothing like that. It's it's all I would say it's all like a physical thing or something but i just you know he doesn't i mean i guess truly realizing that you know maybe i should put the games away and go outside isn't i wouldn't say that's growth you know not relying on video games all the time to get your happiness or like theme of the movie theme of the book yeah what an old fart to put that in there (laughs) 
so conservative on video games. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Uh, yeah. Sorry, did Steven you, Spielberg. Did you? Uh, so in the book, the world is a lot worse for wear than what they show you in the movie. It's it's a lot. I would say the majority of the United States is poorer because they're losing jobs to, you know, drones, to automatons, uh, stuff like that. And there's like one throwaway line how the work it's it's not touched upon a lot in the book, and it's kind of shown in the movie how it's pretty bad. But I I really would have liked more. They show you how like global warming is kind of affecting the world, how technology is kind of getting the best of us. You know, they, you know, no one's, no one's doing the responsibility because they're always in the oasis or they're actually, their job is in the oasis type of thing. There's a lot of things they didn't touch on. And I don't know if they had time. This movie was already pushing two hours and 20 minutes. I just feel like it could have slowed down a little bit, added a little bit more to the movie to show you the state of the world and why this why becoming the head of Oasis was a bigger thing than just getting money. Yeah, I, I, see, I see what you're saying. The only thing I got from this movie, and it could be just my personal perspective and into thinking that it looked like it was telling me this or I was looking for something, is that the Oasis is to distract the the lower income people. Like it, it, like it, it felt like it was used in the beginning. That's how I perceived it almost. And and I know this guy created the game because it was a lot of uh, stuff that he grew up with and he wanted to make something so people could connect in this world because of people like him who couldn't connect in the in the real world. But it almost felt like the way it developed, it kind of became a distraction for lower income people. But like I said, that could just be my personal perspective of me looking into it too much. Any thoughts or I think. Uh, one thing that bothered me with this movie is the the <laughs> lack of government. It's the wow list. Because at the end of the movie, dude gets arrested by the police, and that's like the end all be all. So clearly, there's a presence there. If they could just arrest him, and that's that's it, he's done. He's being arrested. Where's the government? I. Where's any kind of reference to the influence and what's going on? Because. I mean, there's a threat to call the police at one point, I think, and then the police actually come, and that's like a big deal. But where were they the rest of the movie? What influence do they have over this world? Yeah, I, I don't. I'm. I'm not gonna lie. I don't remember any, any form. I don't remember a governmental line in that book. That was pretty funny. Uh, if you guys don't have anything to add, I think we just go straight to grades. I'm trying to think of what I could add because I. I um, I guess in grades we could talk about it, but there, there's certain... I'll mention my favorite scene. Oh, favorite scene, y'all. I mean, you guys mentioned favorite nostalgia scene. My favorite scene is the the beginning... Okay, the beginning of the club scene, because I hate when they we start dancing. We talk about 80s so dance stupid, But No, okay, when, we, when they walk into that club with Blue Monday playing and there's all those characters... And like the atmosphere, I think that is one of the coolest parts. That and then when they go through the worlds and show you just some of the worlds, like the world building there, that's some of my favorite parts of the movie. But then it just goes <laughs> kind of down. <laughs> I I think my favorite, some of my favorite parts is uh, we talked about it. You know, The Shining, 
talked about uh, was uh, um, you know the the race, the first race I think was really really cool. Uh, them all playing Atari. I really thought E.T. would come into play there, you know, since uh, Steven Spielberg, you know, directed E.T. that he would reference the a terrible Atari E.T. game. They delete. They they destroyed all of them, Mario. No, there's, there's, they're all gone. Yeah, but you can easily pro. There's emulators you can play online. So obviously, someone has it somewhere to put it onto the computer where you can get an emulator and play it. So obviously, that someone still has their copy. So why couldn't this guy have put it into the game? You know, like a little reference. Like, how do I beat this game? This game is dumb, and then he falls through the cracks or whatever. You know, something like that would have been funny. But uh, I really like the aspect of them going to the, the, the library thing and, and uh, looking through his memories to figure stuff out. I thought those were really cool moments. Uh, you know, the Gundam was pretty neat. Mechagodzilla uh, got my nerd boner hard. Uh, can I say that? <laughs> and <laughs> I mean, you already did. <laughs> uh, maybe I'll bleep the whole... <laughs> I'll bleep the whole thing out. Say whatever you want. No, Uh, keep it in. Doing it live. You know, the whole big battle was pretty cool. When he shoots the laser, laser gun, and they they say something, I was like, Spartan laser? Why don't they do Spartan laser? This shows you just the lack of knowledge, you know, Steven Spielberg had. (laughs) Video games. But... (laughs) He only only plays first-person shooters that are team-based, you know? Yeah. Overwatch. Yeah, he plays Overwatch and Overwatch. and and new Ninja Turtles he's watched. Other than that, you know, he, he's totally he's totally out of touch. Well, um, I got- <laughs> speaking. Well, first I want to mention Chris Hawk. You tell us your favorite parts. I'm not gonna lie. Uh, I grew up fearing this movie when I was younger, and I think me and my brother both hated it and loved it at the same time because it's so, it's so cheeseball, so corny, and. There's a reason why we don't sleep in a room in my Nana's house because she has all these dolls in there. And I think the Chucky part might have been the funniest part of the movie for me just because of the fact of the history between me and my brother and watching and not watching the dumb Chucky movies because when we were little, we did not watch those movies. We were deathly afraid of those movies. And then when we watched them when we were older, we just realized how funny they really were. I want to mention a part that's, I guess, well, are you guys going to ever read the book? No, I don't okay. plan to. Mario, no. you going to listen to it? No. Okay, so there's a part in... So uh, music does play a little bit bigger part in the book, and I think one of the coolest parts... Rush. Yeah, Rush. Rush is one of the best parts in the book. So he finds a guitar by, like, the lead... That had the, the lead guitarist of Rush, and he plays a part of 2112, which is my favorite CD from them. And he, he reveals part of the third clue that helps him unlock the gate. And I think that was a really neat part for them to put in the book. It, you know, it combines a part that they didn't, they didn't uh, you know, like kind of all the quests blend in a little bit together in my mind because they're all very similar. You either got to play a game perfectly against someone or you got to perfectly lips, lip mouth, you know, lip sync a, a, a movie that you've seen a million times. And there's just one quest that has music involved in it. And I think it's the coolest part of the book. That's what part I would have loved if they had like a more music part, but I can see why they didn't add it. You got the music part. It was the disco scene. Oh, you're totally right. <laughs> there was another part I just wanted to mention, and I totally forgot. It's uh, it's the Mach 5 and the race. That's what you wanted to mention. Was it there? I totally missed it. 
You totally yeah, missed fair. the Mach 5? Oh my god, I, I, I missed the Mach 5. No freaking way, dude. It was like right... Oh, dude, how did you miss the Mach Oh, I know what I wanted to bring up. The the, the, the A-Team van is there, too. <laughs> oh, I, I missed that. Yeah, I didn't notice that. You know, the guy I work with seen it twice. He counted every reference. <laughs> oh, yeah? Yeah, how many he did. did. He get to? He did. How many uh, did he get to? Oh, like, it's like 187, I think. That's it? Yeah. That's it? <laughs> That's it. That's it? <laughs> I hate to make fun of him on the podcast, but uh, he'll get a kick out of it. I think he's lowballing us. I think that's I don't low think ball he, I don't think he listens. Those are, those are rookie numbers? Those are rookie I need to you pump gotta, them up. You got to pump them up, brother. Oh, but I was saying to John in the movie theater, this is what I want to bring up, is no Nintendo, and um, I mean, DC, apparently there's the Flash and Aquaman in there, but and obviously the Superman. Deadpool. Was there Deadpool? Deadpool was there. What was the other? Catwoman, Batgirl, yeah. Harley. I saw a lot of DC. I didn't see a lot of Marvel. But You didn't see a lot of Disney. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I'm saying. Oh, Star Wars. Star Wars and obviously yeah. there's the two Star Wars references. But also Nintendo. What the, what the, uh, in, the mo- in the book, it makes sense because uh, James Halliday only played, like he grew up on Atari. Like that was his... He played Atari endlessly, and that's why it's such a big part of arcade games and Atari are a big part of the book. You know, like Joust, Asteroid, all those games. E.T. No, not E.T. Adventure, not E.T. Joust. Joust. Have you guys seen the the Atari commercial for Joust? No. You should go watch it. (laughs) If if you do one thing from this podcast, you know, listeners... Go look up the commercial for Joust and watch this guy watch two birdmen fight each other in his room and then turn into a birdman. That's all I'm going to tell you. <laughs> but you need, you need to witness it. All right. Let's get into grades. Uh. John, you want to go first? Sure. Uh, overall, it's a good movie. If you're looking for something, you know, in depth and uh, thought provoking, you're not going to get that. Uh, you're not going to get great characters. You're going to get a cool world, uh, a pretty cool quest. That if you know you're into video games or uh, media in general, I think you can appreciate. Um, and I mean, I thought it was okay. I wouldn't say it's the best movie. Will it make a you know a top ten list? That'd be hard. Because if John of, only sees you know, ten movies some of this stuff, year, then it's got to be up. It there. might not even make oh. it. It might not even make it. <laughs> but overall, I think it's okay. I'm I'm gonna give it a six and a half out of ten. I think I, I feel like it's low, but I feel like if I give it a seven or a seven and a half, then it's meeting some other movies that I think were more enjoyable. So I, I got to put it there. Mario. Oh my god, I don't even know what to say for final summary and grade. I mean, we've talked about all the best parts of the movie, I feel like, and M for Mach 5. <laughs> 5. 5 out of 10. Mark, <laughs> five out of 10. I, you know what? Just pass. Go. Uh, yeah, John said what I was going to say. There you go. <laughs> no, um, I really don't know what to say, other than I feel like this is the perfect movie for a lot of people today, especially the internet age and, and how nostalgia nostalgic we've been lately and uh you know 
there's a lot I like, you know, and I've, we've talked about it. I feel like there's a lot of more, there's a lot more things we could have talked about, but I, I really don't, I really don't think, you know, since we're not as high on it, we, we could really get in depth into it. I think we got into depth about our favorite aspects, you know, about the gaming part. And, you know, we definitely talked about the characters not being so memorable. Uh, other than that, you know, it, it was just an okay movie to me. Like you guys said, it, it's, it's not bad. It's not great. Uh, I, I personally wouldn't, uh, uh, put it up there with like Jurassic Park or, or Jaws. Um, what's another Steven Spielberg blockbuster? I guess E.T. is one of them. I want to put it up there with those movies. Indiana Jones. Uh, Indiana, Indiana Jones. Jones. I want to put it up there with one of those, but it, it, I feel like anyone could have directed this who was a fan of Steven Spielberg, honestly. And maybe Spielberg wasn't the right person to do this, where I feel like maybe if it was someone else with more creative passion, they could have... Uh, not saying that Spielberg has doesn't have creative passion. You know, he's he's a legend, and he's very creative and imaginative. I just feel like maybe someone who had bigger ideas could have made this more epic, you know? So this this just in Mario says Steven Spielberg's not epic or creative <laughs> and uh, not very good at all. That's what I'm saying. That's not what I'm just saying. As quoted I mean, by Mario, I'm not gonna lie, Steven Spielberg. <laughs> yeah, passed. that's that's the biggest hot take I've ever heard in my entire life. Okay, <laughs> I just other than the, like some some parts, I I really don't feel like you know I, I feel like Spielberg was the draw for this movie. Honestly, that he made it. I I honestly feel that. Because, you know, my grandfather, he's like 74 the other day, and he has no idea what Ready Player One is. And he was like, oh, that's a Spielberg movie? I'm going to have to go see that. So I, I feel like he's going, I mean, going off of one person isn't a big deal. You know, my grandfather's a dork, but uh, you, I, you, you know what I'm saying. I don't, I, I honestly don't know what to give it. I, I feel like, what are you doing? What? What are you, what are you uh, Yeah, it's not bad, but it, it's not. I'd have to go think about what I've graded, 7.5. It's it's really hard. It's really hard. Maybe to it's be, in limbo. To piggyback on what you said before Chris Hawk does his Rubicon and screws everything up. <laughs> um I don't think the actors have a bad performance in this right, movie. Right, right. I just think they're not given anything to do. So I mean that's I think that's why we didn't touch on that when you just mentioned how we didn't touch on things. It's because there's no performance to really judge. Yeah. Honestly. Alright, so the Rubicon. I'm not gonna lie, I think this might be my least favorite of the Spielberg movies. And I'm a big fan of Hook, which is, uh, I guess, apparently everyone hates now or something like that. Well, all the critics critics hate. Uh, Robert Williams is one of my favorite Peter Pans, so I'm just going to say that. But let's get off Let's get off to the right of that. Uh, I got some real Tron Matrix vibes from this movie, you know, becoming part of a video game, you know, becoming part of a reality where everyone is plugged into something and their minds are like wandering around aimlessly type of thing. You know how like the machines use the humans for batteries type of thing. It, that was that was it. For the nostalgia purposes, Wreck-It Ralph. Wreck-It Ralph was pretty nostalgic when I first saw it. And I it was pretty self-explanatory why it was uh, nostalgic. And it really worked for the movie. While for Ready Player One, it works for it. And then... Uh, Mario said Willy Wonka, so I'm not going to use Willy Wonka, so I'm going to use the movie Rat Race. Rat Race was a really fun movie when it first came out about, you know, everyone racing to get the, I think it was like a million dollars. Those are, 
that's all I have for Rubicon. There's not a lot. There's not a lot of depth to this movie. So it's I'm I'm just that's all I got for Rubicon. The movie was definitely fun. Um, it was the most tame and ever, you know. Yeah, just the most tame Rubicon, and I I could tolerate it. <laughs> so that's so, so that's our grades for Ready Player One. one. Let's all say yeah, it at once. A, Ready? One, two, three. Ready Player, Ready one. player one. That was terrible. John didn't, John didn't say <laughs> it. RPO. John didn't say it. He'll say it later when, like, when we're talking about stuff. <laughs> I wasn't going to say it. Why would I say that? <laughs> so John gave it a, John gave it a 6.5. Mario gave it a 7.8. And I compared it to Matrix, Tron, Rat Race, and Wreck-It Ralph. Uh, Willy Wonka flown in there for good measure just because uh, I believe this... This movie is gonna be—it's gonna be fun. It's just gonna be a fun movie for everyone. So, I mean, it's—if you want a good popcorn movie, go see it. There's just not a lot to this movie. I think this might be Spielberg's weakest movie, but that's just me. Are you saying? Mario. Are you saying that this movie is weaker than Kingdom of the Crystal Skull? Yeah, because everyone uh, well, says watch, that's his worst movie. I'd watch Kingdom of the Crystal Skull a hundred times before I watch Ready Player One again. I have to watch this at home. I feel like it's a movie I can flip on and watch when I'm at home. I've already seen it twice. <laughs> John, tell us about that experience. John, I think John could it's never the exact same. I think John could never watch it ever again. He's be right. <laughs> literally the same experience both times. I mean, take that as you will. <laughs> Mario, where can you find us? Uh, you can find us um, on the internet. You know, there's. Uh, website out there called cinema7podcast.com we're looking to change the domain domain name so it's uh well i i feel like we personally should so it is the way we spell seven but for the website it's cinema just the number seven podcast.com uh how we spell seven is the number seven e-v-e-n the seven replaces the, the s in seven uh you can look us up on social media on Instagram, we're Cinema Seven. How we spell Seven underscore podcast. Uh, same with Facebook now, or, or well, Facebook we're just Cinema Seven. Uh, Twitter, I changed the our handle. It's uh, Cinema Seven uh, underscore Pod. And uh, you know we're on Reddit, so you can uh, definitely see us comment on there. John uh, does some things, shares some things in the Reddit and tries to help us get some interviews. So if you're looking to uh, promote something or be interviewed or just want to come on and talk with us, definitely email us or, you know, hit us up on Reddit or find us there. Stuff like that. Email-wise, since I just mentioned it, is uh, cinema7podcast at gmail.com. I'd just like to point out that I have uh, slowly but surely been revamping the website, and if you want every single episode in one place, you go to the website, you go to podcast episodes, there is 10 pages of episodes there that you can just play from the player in the browser. Look at that. Look at that. Look at that. That's amazing. We're on uh, episode 93, I believe. 92, 93. Oh, so we're going to do something special. We're going to do something special for the 100th episode. Oh, we got to do something special for the 100th. I think we, we should to. record it live at the at the, like, the, the Harris Theater. Just I think set up. <laughs> I think we need to record it live on a roller <laughs> I think uh, I think Hurricane Heist needs to be our hundredth episode. We just out of nowhere we're we're gonna talk about Hurricane Heist. We saw this in uh, February or early March. 
We still need to talk about Tomb Raider. That's true. We do need to talk about Tomb Raider. Ready Player One. So, John, do we have a patron too? A Patreon? Yeah, patron. we got one of those. <laughs> and I'll tell you what, you can go find it. If you go to the website and then you <laughs> click on the support the podcast tab, it'll link you to the Patreon there. So you figure it out. <laughs> Love it. That's true. But you can donate as little as a dollar and support us. And, uh, you know, we appreciate that. In the past, we've had Mario's mom donate. Uh, Chris Hawk keeps saying he donates, but I'm not quite sure if he does. <laughs> I got the receipt, brah. Okay. I, and you might. I got the I don't paper know. trails. Joey Hill does. Mario, I think, does. I might. Who knows? But thanks, guys. Thanks to all those who do donate and support us. Appreciate it. Uh, another thing I wanted to mention is wherever you're listening to us, uh, definitely subscribe so that our episodes download into your feed automatically when a new episode comes out. Uh, on uh, Google Play, I believe, it, it uh, there's like a uh, delay. It might be a couple hours or so. Uh, but if you're on the iTunes, you know, you have the Apple devices, definitely, you know, rate and review us on there. That'd definitely help us out. Get us out there in the podcast community. You know what I'm saying? Uh, five stars is the only thing we accept. So uh, next subject. Right. So, as always, here at Cinema 7, we want to thank you for listening with us. We want to thank you for watching with us. And we want to thank you for exploring with us.